My name is Tommy, by the way. Um, I'm the pastor here at this place. If we hadn't met, um, this is what I do. So I'm making a, doing something with Play-Doh here. But I, I was looking at the can of Play-Doh uh, just a few minutes ago, and I found it interesting that it said non-toxic. But then underneath it, it said, do not eat. <laughs> I just thought that was conflicting messages, because if it's not toxic, why can't I eat it? But y'all remember this guy? Anyone remember this guy? Who is he? Not Plato Jesus, Plato God. <laughs> That's close though. <laughs> Whoops. That's funny. Uh, it's Plato God. But thank you for paying attention. Wait to be, brother. Um, is he, he's not the real God, is he? Obviously not. When I made this last week, I, was, I put it on, on here and I was like, this is God. And y'all just went quiet. Like, oh, he's about to do something really stupid. No, I, I know. Oh, by the way, it's Sherry Wilcox's birthday. Give it up for Sherry Wilcox. <laughs> Yes. She's 192 today. 192. Going strong. I love it. Um, <laughs> you know I love you. I'm happy the mayor of this community goes to church here. That's awesome. So uh, what are we talking about? Not you yet. Uh, oh, yeah, Plato. Plato God. He's not the real God. He has no power. I mean, I, just, I literally just made this guy. Y'all saw me. He has no more power than the ashtray I made or the snake or the ball or any of the other. He's just, just Plato. But for too many people, this is the God we've got. We kind of took the parts of God that we liked and we, and we stuck them together. And we took the parts of God that we didn't like and we just kind of got rid of them. And so we created for ourselves a Plato God. And he has no power or authority. He certainly doesn't. You don't yield your life to this guy. But for too many people, especially in America, it's the American gospel to just take the part of God you like and put them together and call that thing God. And so if your worship is struggling, if there's no power, if there's no joy in your worship, if, if, if you come to church and you say, well, I couldn't worship because they didn't play the song I liked, or I couldn't worship because Tommy wasn't you know, funny enough, or I couldn't worship because the heat, or I couldn't worship because of mask, maybe the problem is not all those circumstances. Maybe the problem is you are worshiping a Plato God that's not the real God. And if that happens, then your worship becomes circumstantial. Because that's what happens when you worship a God that you created, not the God who created the world. And so that's what we're doing with this series. Our desire here is to be a house that worships, a house that worships in truth. As a matter of fact, in John 4, 23, it says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. We were created to worship God, the real God, the one true God. And we can't know everything about God. I mean, he's, God is unknowable in many ways, and God is infinite, and we're not. And, but he has made himself known to us through Scripture and through the Holy Spirit, and he wants us to worship him in truth. And to worship God in truth, you got to know the truth about God. And there are some things that we need to know in order to, to enjoy the pure, true worship with the real God. And that's what we're talking about. And because the purpose of this series is worship, that's the output, we're using the book in the Bible that's about worship. And the book in the Bible that's about worship is Psalms. Good job. I'm not going to say what I said last week when I first saw that. I got in trouble. But this is, this is what we're talking about. And so the, today, let's, let's open up. If you've got your Bible, feel free to open it. We're, if you don't, that's fine too. We'll put it on the screen. But Psalm 99, y'all just check this out. And as I'm reading through this, 
I want you guys to try to pick up a pattern on something the psalmist wants us to hear. Remember, psalms, these are poetry. They're they're songs. They're written to praise God from people who know God. So listen for a key word or phrase that may be something that we need to know about God. All right, here we go. Psalm 99. The Lord reigns. Let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Great is the Lord in Zion. He is exalted over all nations. Let them praise you, great and awesome name. He is holy. Can't hit. The king is mighty. He loves justice. You have established equity. In Jacob, you have done what is just and right. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called on the Lord and he answered them. He spoke to them from the pillar of cloud. They kept his statutes and decrees he gave them. Lord our God, you answered them. You were to Israel a forgiving God, though you punished their misdeeds. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. You got it. So if I was to say God is, how would you fill in that blank today? God is holy. You guys, God is holy. I love it. And we're like, yeah, okay, we get that. We're at church. We get God is holy. But I think if we really understood this, it would change the way we lived. I think the holiness of God, we talked about this in staff meetings a few weeks weeks ago. Danny brought this up and we were talking about the holiness of God is something we just kind of skip over. And there's a reason that we skip over and I'll get to it in a minute. But I think if we really understood this, if we really believed this, it would change everything about our life. And so my favorite story about the holiness of God is from Isaiah. Y'all remember last week we talked about Isaiah. Um, Isaiah was a prophet, and God called him, and his job was to go to the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, and tell them that God's judgment was coming. Just for fun, on the count of three, I want every one of you to tell me what you do for a living. You ready? Just all say it at once. One, two, three. I, I didn't understand you. So, there were just too many people talking at once. But here's what you don't do for a living. Your job is not to go tell people God's judgment is coming. Can you imagine that job? Like, I'd been like, let's let Mark do that. I'm, I'm, I got, I'm over here. You know, that's not what I want to do for a living. But this is what Isaiah was called by God to do, to go around and tell people that God's judgment was coming. And so that's what Isaiah is getting ready to do. That's what he's doing in the first half of this book. But then in chapter 6, something really, 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 really cool happens. Check this out. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, and this is Isaiah talking, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. All right. Now, y'all are like, okay. But imagine I came out from back there, and I said, hey, guys. Y'all ain't going to believe this, because that's how we always start stories. Y'all ain't going to believe what just happened. During the third song, I was back there, and I saw the Lord. The throne room was open, and I saw seraphim, and they were sitting. They had six wings, and they were covering their eyes and their faces. What would y'all say to me? Would y'all just look at me? Would you be like, I don't know, Tommy. I don't know if that's what you saw or not, man. What exactly were you smoking? We just thought that was dry ice and haze back there, man. We thought that was an effect for the band. <laughs> like, what, what? You wouldn't believe me. 
And this is a crazy, right? This is a crazy story. But something has happened, and Isaiah is talking about it, and it's absolutely amazing. Because what is supposed to happen, some of you guys know the Old Testament, what is supposed to happen when you see God? You die. Johnny Ball game. That's what they say. That's what the kids say now. Actually, just me. But that's what's supposed to happen, right? But Isaiah, something happens with Isaiah where the throne room is open, and he actually gets to see God. But remember, what's going on with Israel right now? Israel has just been told that judgment is coming, that everything they know is about to get jacked up. And so it would be easy for the Israelites to go, well, God is no longer in control. What did we talk about last week? God is what? Sovereign. Sovereign. So one of y'all was here, sovereign. God is sovereign. We talked about that last week. God is in control. And so God, because, because Isaiah is delivering a message that would seem that it makes God out of control, Isaiah allows God to come into the throne room, and Isaiah sees him, and when he sees God, what is God not doing? He's not sitting in the corner biting his fingernails going, I didn't know this was going to happen. He's being in control. He's on the throne. He's the king. And Isaiah is not describing his face because you can't see his face. He's describing what's going on around him. And there are seraphim in there, and, and, and there are and six. Y'all know what a seraphim is? All right, great. Uh, in, in the psalm, we said cherubim. Cherubim and seraphim are kinds of angels, right? Um, and I don't really know the difference. I think maybe one of them has more wings than the other one. It's hard to say. Maybe they have T-shirts that are different, but they're angels. Here's what I know they're not. Here's what, here's what seraphim and cherubim are not. You remember when your grandma had those little figurines that looked like an angel? And they were always babies, and they were wearing white, and they just had like, they're not that. That's not real, okay? That's not what a seraphim or cherubim. You know, like some people, they're not your deceased loved one. Because people's, people are people, and angels are a created being, so they're not that. They're not uh, up there, you know, playing violins and shooting arrows. Seraphim, the word seraphim actually means fiery being. Do you know that? When you think of angels, do you think of fiery beings? So, so what's going on now? Isaiah is in the throne room. He's seeing this, and these fiery beings are surrounding God, and all this amazing stuff is happening. And Isaiah is getting to see this. If you were in there and seeing that, how comfortable would you feel? Not me. I mean, I'd be like, well, okay. And, and so listen, listen to what happens. In Isaiah chapter it's 6, verse 3, they were calling to one another. So the seraphim are calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. So these fiery winged beings with all these eyes and all these things, they are calling to one another. And one of the translations I read said, it wasn't like they were singing a happy song, like holy, holy, holy. Like it's almost like painful, like, like giving birth. Like holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they say it three times. And in that psalm we just said it, said it, said it three times. Holy, they're yelling at each other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty because something powerful is happening in that room. And the angels are just saying, it's, it's almost like they can't not say it. Holy, holy. And, and this is the holiness of God. And this is what we, we need to get. I think when we think about holiness, we think about people who act really good, don't we? Like, I remember we all, my brother, y'all know I've got three brothers, Casey, Bruce, and Jeff. Uh, Casey, knucklehead. Bruce, knucklehead. Jeff was perfect, right? I mean, and I think we used to always, Jeff was holy. And Jeff, you're holier now because he didn't drink or cuss. And so because he didn't drink or cuss, because he didn't get drunk or cuss, we were like, well, Jeff, you're just so holy. Well, I don't think the angels are going, God, you're so holy because you don't drink or cuss. 
Like, I don't believe that's what's going on here. They're excited about something bigger than that, something that's more than that. It's not what God does. It's the power of his presence. It is a property of his being. It is just who he is, that when he is in the room, everything around him cries out, holy. There's something powerful going on in that room, and we need to understand it. And it's about more than just moral purity. It's about the, the, the possession of holiness. It's who God is. And I don't think we really get that. One of the best analogies I've ever heard from this was about the sun. All right, so let, let's talk, and this is audience participation time. What do we know about the sun? Just throw something out. Bingo, it's hot, great. That was good. It's hot, we know that. And the heat from the sun does what to the earth? Gives life, right? There is no life on the earth without the heat from the sun. I've always said this, no sun, no fun. I've said that my entire life. The sun is what makes the earth have, if the sun goes away, do you know what happens to everybody? You die. Do y'all remember when that, that eclipse happened a few years back? And they gave us all those glasses that we were supposed to wear to protect our eyes? But some of us were like, I ain't wearing those, I'm free. And we just, we just stared right at the sun. Y'all remember, I was one of those guys. I just looked right at the sun. I was like, ah, like, you can't just stare at the sun, can you? Because it burns your eyes. <laughs> Sorry. That's what it does. It, 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 but, so the sun is good, though, right? The sun is good. Without the sun, there is no life. But can you just walk up to the sun and give it a hug? Why not? Because what makes the sun good would burn you up if you grabbed it. What would happen if you grabbed the sun? Melted. Just like that. It would melt you. You ever hear of anybody landing on the sun? You ever hear anybody hanging out with the sun? You know why? Because you can't do that. The properties that make the sun good also make the sun a little dangerous. And you can't just walk up to it and be like, there's my homeboy and give it five because it will evaporate you. What makes it powerful makes it dangerous. And if you stand in front of the sun unprotected, it will kill you. That's what it means to be holy. Y'all see where I'm going with this? Are you following me? That's God. God is good. And God is holy. And his holiness is good. But if you stand in front of that holiness unprotected and willy-nilly, the same thing that makes God good will kill you. And that's the holiness of God, guys. And that's hard, and, and we don't get that, and it's not necessarily something we always like. But it's who God is. And so watch what happens when Isaiah encounters this holy God in verse 4. At the sound of their voices, the doorsteps and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined from a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. All right, so Isaiah is in the throne room. And the holiness of God is on full display. And is Isaiah like, man, this is great. I mean, is he, high five, God. No. Well, what's he doing? He's like, this is painful because the holiness of God reveals the unholiness of Isaiah. The purity of God reveals the impurity of Isaiah. And it's painful for Isaiah to stand in the, God's holiness is good. But it's causing a great pain in Isaiah because he's realizing who he is when compared to the holiness of God. And that is why we don't really like God's holiness. It's why we don't talk about it a whole lot. It's why we don't live like Because do you really want 
to hang out with a God who confronts your sin, exposes your sin, and judges your sin? Does that sound like fun? That's what the world says bad about us, right? That we judge, confront, and expose. Well, not our sin. Like, I don't want a God that confronts my sin. I want a God that confronts your sin. That's why what I like to do is find sins I could never commit and then make them a really big deal from up here. I'm not going to do ones that I could commit. Who would do that? That's, that's not what the American Christian does. we got to find other sins that we don't like and talk really bad about them without ever doing anything about our sin. But the holiness of God convicts and it confronts. And it's not fun. And it causes pain. And so sometimes that is not the God we want. We just want a God that we create that's not really that holy because he doesn't bother us. But if you think about it, shouldn't we want a holy God? Or do we want a God as morally inconsistent as us? Do we want a God no more holy? A God that doesn't confront? A God that doesn't expose? A God that doesn't judge? Because if we have that, I mean, there, there, you can, if you want to worship a God that's as morally inconsistent as you and doesn't confront sin or judge, just worship like Loki or Thor. At least Thor's good looking. They're not real gods, but I mean, they don't confront sin, they don't bother you, but the real God confronts, exposes, and judges the sin in us. That's what his holiness does. And when that happens, it can cause pain. And so when we in the church begin to talk about confronting sin and judging sin and exposing sin, the world out there goes, look at him. This is what this, this, Tommy's been there for 10 years, and he's finally getting to what he's always wanted to say. I'm judging everybody, right? And this is what the world thinks about us. But here's what the world doesn't understand. Yes, God's holiness confronts and exposes and judges sin, but it's not to kill your joy or to ruin your life. Listen to this, Isaiah 6, 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. You know what atoned for means? It means paid for. God does not confront, judge, and expose sin to make you feel guilty. He does it to remove guilt from you. God, and it's painful. If someone comes, if a flaming being comes at you with a burning coal, are you like, oh, this looks like fun? You know, when you do that little airplane thing with your kids. I mean, if a flaming being is bringing, aren't you kind of like, I don't know. And sometimes that's how I feel about God. I don't know if I want to confront this. I don't know if I want to expose this. I don't want you judging. I want you out of that part of my life. But when God confronts, exposes, and judges even the sins that cause me pain, he sets me free from them. And if you're not worshiping a God that occasionally confronts, judges, and exposes, then you are worshiping a God you made, not the God who made the world. The truth is the God who made the world confronts and exposes, and he judges. And the truth is sometimes it is incredibly painful. But that pain will set you free. That pain is not designed, as a matter of fact, that, that pain is not designed to bring guilt. It's designed to burn guilt away. It's designed to burn shame away so that we might be free. And this is what we must understand. We can't be ashamed of the holiness of God because we need the holiness of God. 
We can't be afraid of those painful moments where God is exposing real sin because we need him to expose it so that he can get it out of our lives. I was talking to someone before this, this, this last one, and, and, and she said to me, well, I'm not holy, but God is. And I said, you're right. God is holy, but we are being made holy. We are becoming holy. We can't settle with imperfection. God is making us into the holy image of the Christ for the world to see. That's why we exist. That's why we're here. That people might see us and see a holy God. And the process is painful. And you know it is. But the pain is worth it. God is holy. And so right now, right now in heaven, God is surrounded by warriors. Just shut your eyes. All, just shut your eyes all around the room. Just sit where you just shut your eyes right now. All around the room. Right now, the throne room is surrounded by warriors. And they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. And for those who understand what that holiness means, this is our song of freedom. Guys, just, just for a moment, just stay seated and pray. And think about the holiness of God and thank him for what that holiness is doing to set you free.